It's Your Health Radio, a special podcast series presented by Henry Mayo Newhall Hospital. Here's Melanie Cole. Welcome to It's Your Health Radio with Henry Mayo Newhall Hospital. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing the current protocols for treating COVID-19 patients. Joining me is Dr. Aaron Glucksman. He's a pulmonary and critical care medicine physician and a member of the medical staff at Henry Mayo Newhall Hospital. Dr. Glucksman, I'm so glad to have you join us today. And before we get into some of the new and current treatment protocols, help us to understand COVID as it is right now. What's the latest information? What do we know that we maybe didn't know a few months ago? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much kind of remained pretty consistent with, you know, it's predominantly a respiratory tract infection. It's a viral transmission, specifically regarding like the droplets and if it's airborne, we, we don't have super specific answers for that, you know, that are, are very reproducible, but we've been treating it nonetheless in that kind of condition, trying to use our negative pressure rooms, uh, trying to isolate all of our patients and providers, whether it be your nurse, respiratory therapist, or your doctor, we're wearing our protective equipment, which includes the N9 mask with a surgical mask over that and a face shield with other gowns and gloves for the more kind of intense procedures, whether that be if I'm going to go intubate a patient or perform an invasive procedure like placing a central line, arterial line, or even a chest tube. I generally will put on uh, my PAPR or the CAPR device. These are those helmets that pump in continuously positive pressure air so that way we can be safe, we can breathe, and we don't transmit the virus to any of our staff or any of the other patients in the hospital. So we've pretty much solidified that wearing masks out in the general population is very protective. Um, It's more protective for your neighbor, for your loved one, than it is for yourself, being that you're wearing a lot of times just cloth masks or surgical masks. So these are not masks that you wear in the hospital, for example, when you're seeing these patients in direct isolation. Although there are a lot of people out there with you know, the more aggressive masks, the N95s, um, the KIs. And, you know, we generally are, have really advised against wearing the masks with the exhalation valves because, you know, you're wearing the mask to try to protect your neighbor, your loved one. And these exhalation valves, of course, will transmit the virus out and really just protect yourself so it defeats the purpose. Wow. So interesting. Now, before we go on, you mentioned negative and positive pressure rooms. I need you to explain for the listeners what that means. And while you're doing that, Dr. Glucksman, I want you to go into a little bit, if you would, about how the virus damages the lungs and how that leads to the need for your services, for pulmonary and critical care medicine. So first explain what you meant about negative pressure rooms so people understand what that meant, and then go into what really you're seeing it's doing. So if you can imagine a room that has one door to come in and out, a negative pressure room essentially means that the air in that room is going to stay in. There's negative pressure, meaning it's pulling it into the room, up through a hole in the ceiling, through a filter, and it exchanges the air a few times every hour, okay? And that really protects the rest of the hospital from the patient in the room with COVID, for example. So we can have an entire unit with all these rooms uh, with one door exit uh, point, and essentially once you close that door, the air in that room that the patient is breathing that has the virus, for example, will pretty much stay in that room and not be in the hallways, for example. So when your medical staff are not directly in the room doing patient care, we'll be at the station on a computer with like a regular surgical mask just to to be preventative. 
And that's the negative pressure room. It's like a sucks the air and keeps it into the room. It goes through a little vent in the ceiling, it cleans it, and it gives you nice filtered air. Doctor, from what we've learned to this point, what's the most common way for the virus to enter our bodies? Yeah, so the virus itself is taken up through, you breathe it in, it goes down through the respiratory tract into the lower respiratory tract, into the lungs. It's taken up by the ACE receptor. And essentially, once it affects the lung, really, it causes a a pneumonitis, an inflammation in that lung. So we see the direct toxic effects of the virus, the pneumonitis, meaning inflammation of the lung. We see the inflammatory response from the virus itself, which is where we get these very aggressive, robust inflammatory markers in the body. And this is generally when the patients are, are very sick. This is about day five to seven when they come in very symptomatic. Doc, I can't breathe. I can't even walk. It hurts to take a breath. I'm just so exhausted, so fatigued. And it's pretty much the, those are the main mechanisms how the virus kind of attacks your body. You know, the virus gets in causes inflammation, directly damages the lung, and then it causes the body, the immune response to be overwhelming, and that overwhelming immune response then damages other organs, such as your kidneys, your heart. Then can you explain how the virus damages the lungs and how that might lead to the need for critical care? We'll start at the beginning, okay, when you meet anyone in the hospital, right? You come to the emergency department, give your general list of symptoms, you get triaged by the emergency department staff, and then eventually you meet a doctor, okay? And as if with anything in medicine, a conversation starts where you can get more information, you can elicit, for example, how you contracted the virus. If there's anyone else in your family in the house, for example, you can be like, please tell your family to stay home, self-isolate. And then you get the story about you yourself as a patient. You try to see Do you come in, are you like a 30-year-old young, healthy person with no medical issues? Or are you like a 78-year-old patient? Are you on dialysis? Do you have advanced heart failure? Have you had an open-heart surgery? You can put your, your patient into the category of how concerning is this? What are the possible effects? And prognosticate a little bit. Of course, your initial vital signs and laboratories are very helpful. So you'll come in, you'll get your heart rate checked, you'll check your oxygenation. If that's low, they'll put you on some oxygen. You'll get basic laboratories done. And when all these results come back and you have concern for COVID, you'll send off a PCR test, which generally takes about an hour and a half. You get a nasal swab and that swab is sent to our machine, which is run via PCR. Our test is called the COVID-19 PCR. It's done by Cepheid. It takes about two hours. We also have another test by BioFire. It takes around a similar time. This one also will be very helpful this coming fall and winter. It also has the other respiratory viral pathogens such as influenza, parainfluenza, rhinovirus. So it could be helpful. We'll be able to see if there's dual infection. Do you have COVID? Do you have influenza? Do you have another respiratory virus? Do you have rhinovirus? And that really helps with our triage you know, when you come into the hospital because you know it helps other patient safety, other hospital staff safety, figure out exactly what kind of virus we're dealing with, putting you in the right location and trying to keep you and other staff safe. So you get all these information back and your emergency department physician will work you up, do the initial things. And then, yes, you now require oxygen. You're going to come into the hospital. 
We see what other end organs are damaged. For example, are your kidneys affected? Is your liver affected? Are you manifesting other signs of the disease process, such as low blood pressure? Are you in something called shock? Do you need to have a medication to bring that blood pressure up? And all this information kind of collated together will determine where you go into the hospital. Are you going to go to the general medical floor? Are you going to go to the telemetry floor and have a continuous monitor beyond you regarding your heart rate and rhythm? Are you going to be in a step-down unit because we're concerned that you could have impending respiratory compromise? Or are you coming straight up to the ICU because you're so sick at that time? Now, all of those kind of play a role, and that's really kind of where your doctors come in and try to put you in the best and most safe area. Now, the highest level of care is the intensive care unit, and that's where you generally will meet me. I like to say that I'm like the last doctor you really want to meet because things are going very bad. And at that point in time, I'm pretty much called in to help out when the God forbid scenarios happen. You can't breathe enough anymore. Or your oxygen level is so low, you need to require the breathing tube. So I think maybe like a stepwise approach would be pretty good to explain things a little bit better. So the, the modality is the types of oxygen you can get. This is the nasal cannula. Then there it goes up to you know, a full face mask. And then you can have a face mask with a bag on it called the non-rebreather. You can have a high-flow nasal cannula. It's essentially the nasal cannula with a lot better tubing and a device that just pushes air in liters per minute into your lungs and gives you a higher concentration of oxygen. And then we go into the non-invasive ventilation modes. These are the BiPAP, the CPAP, and then all the way to the maximum form of oxygen delivery, the dreaded ventilator with the tube being placed in the trachea to provide oxygen. Essentially, the higher you go up on the oxygen modalities, you know, all the way up from the high-flow nasal cannula to the BiPAP, CPAP, to the mechanical ventilation, that helps determine the level of care. Generally, when you're on the high-flow nasal cannula, the BiPAP, the CPAP, or with the breathing tube, you're in the ICU with us because that's where our staff, our nursing specifically, are trained, as well as our respiratory therapists and our physicians are trained to deal with that in these specific medical units. And we go from there, really. Well, then what are some of the treatment options out there, Dr. Glucksman? How are you treating patients with COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, it's mostly the trouble breathing that I would say I'm most concerned with. The fever is pretty much present in most cases. Any temperature above 100.4 is an official fever. This is a value you get. Any of your home thermometers, you know, I would advise taking a nice gentle Tylenol, try to bring that fever down, putting some ice packs in the armpits or in the groins or the back of the neck to try to bring your temperature down. But the main concerning feature is really your breathing, and that's what really brings a lot of patients into the hospital. Let's say, for example, I had a fever the last two days, it went away, and now it's come back, and now I'm very short of breath. Um, I can't even catch my breath. I'm having trouble getting up from the chair, walking to the kitchen to, you know, pour a glass of water and to drink it. Those would be the main concerning features where you should definitely come in and get evaluated in the emergency department. Because odds are, if you're that short of breath and it's difficult for you to walk and you're so fatigued, it's odds are you're going to require oxygen at that point in time, and you would really benefit from the treatments that we can offer into the hospital. Can you speak to us specifically about how you decide what treatments to use? People hear about ventilation. It can be quite scary. Tell us a little bit about some of the other treatments that you might try, including proning. 
Yeah, I mean, you'd alluded to earlier the prone positioning. This is a phenomenon that we use essentially in the most extreme cases of of oxygen delivery when we're not meeting those goals. We're not getting our our oxygen saturations up, even though we're providing the highest amount of oxygen we can. And that entails essentially laying down on your tummy and changing the distribution of the blood flow in your lung, which is predominantly, for example, when you're on your back, you follow the rules of gravity. The blood flow goes to the bases, and those areas that are getting oxygen will have the most improved blood flow at the base. And switching that up and now going onto your stomach will make gravity change. And as well as where the air goes will change. Now, the blood will be in the part that's closest to the bed in the anterior chest. And the airflow will be into those units that, for example, if you're a little bit overweight, your chest is pushing those areas closed. And in the back there, when you're on your back, something called atelectasis is compression of the airways. You now utilize a separate part of the lung that at one point in time was being compressed and not getting as much airflow to now being a little bit more open and getting more airflow. So essentially you're increasing your ventilation and your perfusion, and this helps with your oxygenation. The prone position is very easy to do. Generally, we'll have our patients, whether they be on a little bit of oxygen, whether they're on the high flow nasal cannula or even on the ventilator, we utilize the prone positioning. Prone positioning. It's very easy at home, for example. I occasionally watch the news. I remember Chris Como on CNN was utilizing his prone positioning while at home, um, and it was very helpful. And we find that extremely advantageous to try to prevent any escalating needs of therapy if you're able to lay on your stomach for a lot of your hospitalization. We've seen a lot of people stave off the ventilator by being very adamant and very encouraged to be in the prone position. And a lot of times it really helps to prevent that next step, which you know, is also very dangerous, but ultimately does help you in the treatment. So if you're able to not get on the ventilator, it's very helpful because we have found that being on the ventilator really increases your chance of dying, unfortunately. Doctor, what symptoms do you tell patients to be mindful of when they're deciding to seek medical assistance? What's important to note? You know, I think since the beginning of the pandemic to about now, like five, six months later here in the U.S., we've definitely improved the way we're, we're treating patients with this infection, whereas I think our numbers themselves, like our mortality, our getting out of the hospital, our discharges have all been improving, and the numbers are actually decreasing as well patients requiring hospitalization that may have to do with, you know, the demographic of the people that are getting infected right now. A lot of them are in the 20 to 30 age group. They have no real comorbidities and they're able to fight off the virus relatively a lot easier than say an older person that lives in a skilled nursing facility with multiple medical comorbidities. So the hospitalizations themselves have been declining compared to earlier on, but still very sick patients that require high levels of care, such as going on very invasive mechanical ventilation do still present. Regarding our treatments, we offer pretty much all the treatments that have been authorized under the emergency use authorization, specifically convalescent plasma and remdesivir. We also offer Decadron, which is a steroid. A lot of us were using its cousin, methylprednisolone, earlier on in the pandemic, but after the recovery trial in England showed a mortality benefit at 28 days, six milligrams of dexamethasone or decadron for 10 days, if you require supplemental oxygen, has proven to improve your mortality and provide a benefit. Remdesivir, the other medication which 
helps with blocking viral replication. This medication, under the emergency use authorization, has shown to decrease duration of symptoms from 11 days down from, if you didn't take it, from about the 15 days. So it's very helpful. And then lastly, uh, convalescent plasma, which is blood from someone that has had COVID, has recovered, and has titers, antibodies, instilling this blood into patients currently battling with the virus has proven helpful. So we have these three modalities that attack and help us battle this virus that do appear to be helping out a lot and helping with patient outcomes. We are very used to this now. At first, it was truly terrifying. Like you're going into these patients' room, you're any part of the medical staff, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so scared to get this virus, to transmit it to my family, to my parents, to my grandparents, my loved ones, but this is my job. This is what we signed up for. I can say now that our ability to feel a bit more comfortable when we're seeing these patients, to know that we have protection. Henry Mayo has definitely offered us the level of protection we need to treat these patients to feel safe, and overall, it's a lot less terrifying, although still very scary. And I think the patients can feel that when your providers come in the room a little bit more comfortable, knowing that they're safe. You can provide better care. You can get better optimism, better vibrations. And, you know, anything really helps the, the human spirit, I think. And overall, we're seeing that people are going through COVID pneumonia now. And there's not as much unknown, even though there's still a lot of unknown. We have learned a lot. And we're very encouraged we're comfortable, and we're very hopeful that you're going to get better. So, yeah, we're here for you in the community trying to keep you safe. If you have any questions, concerns, any symptoms that you want to get evaluated, please come to the emergency department to seek an expert opinion, you know, and we're more than happy to come speak with you, check your vitals, and check your laboratories, and see what we can offer to help try and make you better. Thank you so much, Dr. Glucksman. You've been so informative. Thank you again. If you have concerns, we encourage you to check the Henry Mayo website at henrymayo.com and click on the virus link at the top of the page for more information. And that concludes this episode of It's Your Health Radio with Henry Mayo Newhall Hospital. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Henry Mayo Newhall Hospital podcasts. There are so many interesting podcasts in our library. We encourage you to listen to them and share them with your friends and family. I'm Melanie Cole.